From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, March 18th. I'm Monique Aiken. Today, I'm joined by Dana Lanza of Confluence Philanthropy from their annual gathering in person, which plumbed the crisis in Ukraine, climate change, racial justice, and more. Welcome, Dana. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Monique. It's great to be here. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in impact investing. The Black Vision Fund raised nearly $30 million to expand lending to close the racial wealth gap. The fund will provide low-cost capital to a half-dozen community development financial institutions, or CDFIs, including Hope Enterprise in Jackson, Mississippi, and the Black Business Investment Fund in Florida. Wells Fargo provided a first-loss reserve that helped bring in additional investors. Emboldened shareholders are gearing up for a busy proxy voting season. Shareholders at this year's annual general meetings will vote on a resolution asking Berkshire Hathaway to report on climate-related risks and Valero Energy to adopt greenhouse gas reduction targets. Pfizer, Walmart, and Amazon face resolutions calling for third-party civil rights audits. Apple's shareholders passed such a measure this month. Amy Cortese previewed the proxy fights in Impact Alpha. Pallet raised $15 million to build modular shelters as a response to homelessness. Tent and mobile home encampments have become common sites in many cities. DBL Partners and City Impact backed Pallet, which uses prefabricated panels to build temporary mini-homes with beds, windows, storage, and locking doors that can be constructed in as little as 30 minutes. The company builds villages of about 50 homes each in cooperation with local governments and nonprofits that provide case management, employment help, hygiene and laundry access, and mental health counseling. Donor-advised funds, or DAFs, hold some $160 billion in charitable giving. Legislation in Congress, the Accelerating Charitable Efforts, or ACE Act, would require speedier payers of the tax-advantaged funds to drive impact more quickly. In a guest post, Beth Searle of the Jewish Community Foundation argues for incentives to invest the money as well, especially in CDFIs, which can then increase lending to small businesses in historically excluded communities. And MOVE raised $105 million to help ride-hailing drivers in Africa buy their own vehicles. The loans can be paid back as a portion of revenues. The Nigeria-based company aims to have 60% of its financed vehicles to be electric or hybrid, and for 50% of its borrowers to be women. So welcome, Dana. Thanks so much for joining me. Lots of folks in impact and philanthropy were head to Santa Monica in California this week for your gathering. The first one in person in a long, long time. What were you hoping to accomplish? Well, first of all, we were really just hoping to bring people together in a safe way. Um, I guess we're about six days out now, and it looks like we had a conference with virtually no COVID cases, which is absolutely incredible. So Confluence is a membership-based network of foundations, family offices, and their investment managers. And globally, we represent over $3.5 trillion in assets under management. And the practitioners gathering that we had in Santa Monica is one of our two annual conferences. Um, And it's really where it's called the practitioners gathering because all of the organizations that are there uh, have to have an institutional commitment to impact. So they have to be already deploying capital and at a certain level of practice to be able to be there. It's not really a space for um, newbies. So it was about bringing people together and being safe and rejoining the community and seeing, um, you know, seeing what's happened for everybody the two years since we did our last conference in Puerto Rico. 
we had a great time and everybody was just gushing with happiness to see one another. Sounds like a wonderful time. And for those of us who weren't there, what was the theme for this year? And really the overall tone given all that's going on in the world. Yeah, well, so we themed the conference The Time Is Now because um, we kept hearing over the past year, year and a half that we're running out of time on the issues that values driven investors care about, whether that's climate change or uh, truly addressing inequities, especially racial inequity. Um, And also just the mounting sense of um, insecurity around the world. Um, The pandemic, you know, it just highlighted so many social divisions and also the social divisions right in our own homes and what was going on in our own relationships um, event. You know, it started out with what was going on in people's relationships with family or community. And I think by the end of the pandemic, people have been grappling um, with some of their relationship to self. And that's really interesting mm-hmm. when you explore your personal values and what makes you an impact investor. Whereas I think um, up until now, a lot of the industry has been focused externally on shifting institutions and trying to shift power that way. I think we're now at a place, thanks in part to the pandemic, where we're exploring ourselves in our more intimate relationships, what our values really authentically are and what that means for us as investors. Mm -hmm. So the time is now to um, look at the systemic complexity of the different challenges Mm -hmm. that we're facing uh, around the globe and to try to expand ourselves to be able to embrace all of that and figure out what each of us can uniquely do and just take responsibility for our part because we can't do everything and really lean in there. And those were all some of the, um, that was a lot of, I mean, that's kind of, I feel like describes the energy of what was happening at the conference. I mean, those are all things I care deeply about. And I I really appreciate the idea of um, turning inward in a way. And so some of the folks that you had speak this past week um, were people that we've featured in Impact Alpha along the way. Keisha Cash, dear friend, Kim Folson, Jed Emerson, Tom Steyer, Mark Campanale, Laura Callanan, Ted Eldridge, the list goes on and on. So among all of these wonderful voices, what was your favorite session for the event? And I guess maybe I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, I mean, I don't have favorites, um, but um, I think what we did that was really special, well, I mean, and unexpected in a way is um, we created a session about reparations and reconciliation um, on day one, and we dedicated three hours to that. And um, there's a beautiful film called Thunder for the People. It's a little hard to find. If anybody wants to see it, you can message me and I'll give it, send it to you. And it's about the healing that um, is happening at Rosebud Reservation for the descendants of a massacre there. And they've been reaching out to the descendants of the general, General Harney, that um, led this massacre, and they've been doing healing ceremonies. And so we had one of the elders from, um, well, actually, he's a, a Pine Ridge elder, but he w- he's involved with this work on Rosebud. We had him um, do a welcome for us and explain the whole concept of forgiveness in the Lakota tradition. Um, the elder's name is Basil Braveheart, and he's 88 years old now, and he sent us a message. And then we followed that with um, a keynote by Dr. John Powell from UC Berkeley's Othering and Belonging Institute. And he just followed so beautifully on Basil's remarks, which are really all about um, this journey that we need to take to 
explore our personal healing so that we can be more potent and effective in our strategies for um, for advancing the issues that we care about and you know just just addressing the problems we're facing in society. Um, and it was just, I mean, you could hear a pin drop in the room. It, it was so beautiful. And I think it really touched people. But I think it, I think what was important is it really opened people's hearts as they were going into the rest of the week. And some really great ideas came out of it, such as, you know, foundations have long made grants to organizations to do retreats and leadership development. But wouldn't it be important for foundations to do, to provide funding for executive coaching for movement leaders and activists so that they can really look at the personal issues that are driving their passion for activism and heal some of that so that they can kind of get that stuff out of the way um, as they're building coalition and building relationships with others on behalf of everybody. Um, so there were just some really important messages that came through and thinking about how we actually um, how we actually address questions of reparations, like what are some tactical things you can do. So I think, um, I think it just set a beautiful tone for the week. And I, I'm really eager to do more, bring more of that work to the impact investing community. Well, we appreciate that. And it kind of goes a little bit, some of the work I was doing on the podcast I hosted last year called The Reconstruction. Um, so I'm absolutely tacking along those same lines. And so for you, what was the most surprising moment maybe in the conference that you, um, that you experienced? Well, definitely the most surprising thing was, you know, we didn't we didn't plan for a war in Europe to begin, um, you know, basically the week prior to this conference. Um, so <clears throat> we needed to sort of um, pivot for that and figure out how to make space for that in the agenda, even without knowing what would be happening by the time we got to the conference. And and so uh, for our main main center of the conference event, the gala plenary, we call it. Um, we carved off more than a half an hour of the agenda to just do an open mic speak out about the Ukraine. And the idea was to share ideas very pragmatically about what we wanted to do. Um, there was some desire from audience members to share their feelings about what was happening, which is completely, you know, as should be expected. But also we got into unexpectedly a little bit about the um, the problems with U.S. policy and not just what's happening in the Ukraine, but what's happened historically around the world um, in terms of creating conflicts around natural resources and oil. So we went in that direction. And I think it, it's been a blind spot in the investment industry. I've never been in a conference um, setting where we actually talked about U.S. foreign policy and how we all benefit from that. Um, in this very invisible way. Um, and we talk about investment policy statements, but we don't talk about foreign policy and the implications of that. So it made me realize that, you know, that's an, that's the, that is really the next cutting edge of some of the impact conversation, especially if we're investing internationally. And we're looking to bring, you know, petrostates off of their dependence on oil in a way that won't cause regional and global conflicts. It's extremely complicated and is impact investors with, you know, you know, finite resources. Ultimately, you know, what is our role in all that? I've never been part of any of those conversations, but I think that that's where mm -hmm. this war is going to bring um, the impact investing industry into those those discussions. 
Yeah, I mean, it certainly echoes some of the work that I do at my day job at TIP. I mean, we focus on system level investing, which is a way to go about contending with some of these system level risks that we're talking about. And one of the advanced techniques that we name is policy. And to the degree that policies are causing some of the, are not helping to build resilience and stability. And some of what we need to do is potentially change the rules that disallow us from doing what's right, ultimately. Um, So, you know, in terms of how your membership is thinking about that, the various planetary and human challenges, what are folks saying? Are they ready to take it on? I think that people, if I'm being honest, I mean, I feel like people are frustrated and as as much as we've made enormous strides in the impact industry, and I think in a lot of ways in the past decade, we've made bigger strides than we anticipated through things like, you know, the acceleration of ESG markets or whatever. But it's getting to feel more and more like an us and them sort of a situation. So, you know, there there's this pushback that's happening from other forces, and we're not always really in the best position to figure out how to counter that. So I think people are definitely ready to have hard conversations I feel like they're ready to collaborate in a way that they haven't in the past. But I think one of the things we need to work on is really getting better at listening to one another and realizing that we don't all need to agree, but we need, we need to take a coalition strategy. So different Mm -hmm. points of orientation to get to really potent catalysts of change. And there's this sort of need in our community for everybody to agree all the time and everyone to understand one another's point of view. And like, I can work in coalition with you and not fundamentally, not even really understand your point of view, but if we can identify a shared goal and we can play different roles, Mm -hmm. we can be really powerful. Um, So I saw some of that coming up at the conference, just frustration with what other organizations hadn't done um, Mm -hmm. and things like that. And I just would really encourage all of us to think about um, learning from effective coalitions and a, and a truly effective movement building organizations and figure out how to work together because we've got two important elections we've got to win. Now we've got a, a war that we've got to figure out what it all means and a lot of other things going on while we're still trying to, you know, be good gardeners of the things that are really closest to our hearts like communities and some of the investments we've already got going and some of the grantees that we're taking care of that are important for, uh, you know, for kids and things that maybe aren't necessarily directly related to investing. So not to be uh, all doom and gloom, I'm sure part of it is that coming together, we are more powerful and more capable to act on some of these crises and and to drive change than, than by ourselves. Even the largest pools of capital by themselves couldn't do it all. So where does that leave everyone and what's the call to action? Well, recently we put out a call to action specifically around how to um, address what's happening in the Ukraine and in Europe. Um, Ellen Dorsey from the Walls Global Fund got up and, um, you know, called for a climate emergency. But really, we're framing this around a climate war um, and want to really highlight the implications of Russia's relationship to oil and gas industry with this crisis. So Carbon Tracker has an excellent 
report that's about a year old. It's a prescient report, really, called Beyond Petro States, the Burning Need to Cut Oil Dependence in the Energy Transition. And it's, it's actually got some great infographics where you can see which countries are the most dependent on oil um, nationally. And I was looking at this map and I just had this you know, moment of awareness was like, oh my God, this is like a map of where conflicts are going to happen because these countries um, are so dependent on this oil. Russia, 30% of um, revenues is, are coming from the oil industry. Um, by some estimates we discussed at the conference, they stand to lose $100 trillion on our way to net zero. So no surprise that there's a crisis erupting where oil is being sold at the highest premium, people are buying futures, et cetera, et cetera. You know, let's let's sell all this oil while someone still wants to buy it, right? And not to mention um, creating arguments to open up gas and to drill for gas and then open up oil fields so that um, we can just miss that 2050 deadline. And once we do that, you know, what does it matter, right? So this is a really crucial moment. And we have got to capture the narrative around this. We've got to help people understand that this is a climate war that we're in. The public needs to know that the prices at the pump are a scam. And that would be some great grant making right there. Really, probably not even expensive grants. Get protesters out on the street. Have people protesting at their local gas stations to le- delegitimize the, um, you know, the gas and oil industry brands. Financial advisors need talking points for clients, and they need to help clients understand that this is a tremendous opportunity for the EV markets. And if they're not in renewable yet, it's the time is now to do it. And endowment managers need to realize that the material risk of climate change is now a fiduciary issue. And that's, of course, being explored um, coming up um, at the national level, but it really almost shouldn't matter now. It's up to financial managers to be telling clients what's at stake, and they can use this conflict in Europe as a great example. Um, and last but not least, um, I think the public needs to more deeply understand what's at risk when petrostates stand in the way of the energy transition, um, and they definitely need to understand that this is not um, necessarily a conflict because you know Putin doesn't like you know, the leadership in the Ukraine, it's something much more complex than that. And we can't stand for oil-driven conflict and war at Standing Rock. We can't stand it for it in the Ukraine, and we can't stand for it anywhere else any longer. And I think as impact investors, we need to come out clearly that this transition cannot be riddled with, you know, regional and global wars along the way. We've got to, we've got to do better than this. Um, so that's, um, that's, what we're asking everyone to be talking about in these next few weeks. Really hope, really hope some of the foundations just get some grant money out the door around communicating and, and you know, grabbing the narrative on this story and making it a narrative where climate is the solution and climate investors are the winners. Oh, I so appreciate that. I mean, in the end, hashtag don't choose extinction. Thank you so much, Dana, for joining me today. That's gonna do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to Dana and our producer, Isaac Silk. Subscribe to get full access to Impact Alpha and The Daily Brief. Right now, we're offering podcast listeners $100 off their first subscription. Go to impactalpha.com subscribe and use the code briefing100. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. 
Make sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take care.